Good morning. I invite you to come in and take a seat, and we will gather ourselves together. It's a snowy, well, not snowy, it's an icy morning, so I'm glad for all of you that ventured out this morning. Good morning. We are looking forward to our annual uh, congregational meeting, our, our uh, annual fall election meeting, which will, will be held on Tuesday the 28th. So that's three weeks, three weeks and a bit from now. Um, if you have not yet been called by the nominating committee, you can be fairly confident that 
Even if they haven't yet phoned you, they are talking about you. That little tingling feeling in your ears is the sense of, uh, of other people talking about you, and it, it is absolutely happening. Um, I would, uh, so I want to give a little pitch to, con to consider for yourself and also consider for uh, your friends and, and those you know in the congregation uh, what, what ways you might feel able to be involved uh, in the life of our congregation. There are several, several things I want to say out loud about that. One is that I hope you do talk about it in advance. I think sometimes in the church we are, we are properly reluctant to, to gossip about the life of the church or about our leadership or about each other, um, and so, which, is, which is good. We should refrain from gossip. However, I think that can sometimes lead us to not, to not saying things to each other about stuff that matters. And I hope that you are able to talk to each other within your family and social circles and the, the people that you know in the congregation uh, about the life of the church and, and uh, ways that, that you, if left to your own devices, you would guide it this way. And others might say, well, actually, I would guide it this way. And so if those conversations are happening out loud, we will be in a better position as a, as a congregation, as a whole group. The second thing is, I hope, you, I hope you feel able to come to the meeting on the 28th. It will be at 7.30 in the evening. Uh, I think sometimes in, sometimes in the church, uh, people feel like they don't need to come to a meeting if, the, if they feel like the whole thing is, is going, on, going along in a good direction, that there's really, what, what would I have to add? There's no need to attend. Uh, and that's certainly not the case. Uh, you're, if, if you feel like things are going along well, as they should, um, we, we need that vote of confidence and you need to be able to say that out loud uh, when you come to the meeting. Sometimes also it happens that people give up. And if, if you have been feeling over the last while as if you wish things were going in a different direction, but they're not, and then they're not, and then they're not, uh, you, may f you may feel like, like, uh, like backing away from, from the life of the church. And again there, it's especially important uh, that, that, that you attend. And so, so both if you are feeling confident about how things are going and if you have uh, concerns, it's, it's important to come and to, to be able to talk about the life of our congregation. I will note on that that uh, for several years our church has had a, uh, a change from, from historical precedent, our previous life, in that we, uh, if, if you have a topic that you would like to have discussed at the congregational meeting, uh, you'll need to raise that with, with me. I'm the, I'll, I will be chairing the meeting. Uh, you'll need to raise that with me in advance so that we can put it on the agenda and, and speak about it. Um, I think sometimes when we, when we first brought in that, that practice that, that, uh, that topics should not be raised from the floor in the meeting, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that, that people have sometimes thought about that is that, is that there is really no way to, to raise things then. You really have to kind of wait for the board, uh, you know, wait for the church board to bring something up before it gets addressed. And that's not the case at all. So we. Uh, we hope that you don't uh, raise new topics that nobody's prepared to speak about uh, just as a kind of a cold call from the, from the floor. Uh, so you'll need, to, you'll need to speak to me in advance. However, if there are things that need the attention of the congregation and, the discuss and discussion of the congregation, uh, you can bring those to me before the meeting and we can talk about um, how to appropriately raise those. 
people who have done that in the past, you, you have sometimes felt, I know because you say so, um, th that sometimes I, it's, it feels like I, like I divert the, the topic. So why, you know, why don't you raise that issue? Why don't we raise that with the board first before we bring it up at the congregation? Or perhaps maybe that's a thing that the ministerial should talk about first before we bring it up at the congregation. Um, so so that's, that's not a way to minimize uh, the concerns or the celebrations that you have. But if you, if you have something that you would like to have talked about by the congregation, I will first be checking with you to see whether that's been talked about at the, at the other levels, um, the kind of the lower levels of the, of the discussion process with each other and with, the, with ministerial, with the board. Uh, and if it has, then, then it can be appropriate to raise, that, uh, raise those at the congregation. If there's nothing and there's only the agenda that the board brings to it, that's also fantastic. So you are not duty bound to raise extra issues. But if you do have something that either, either that you want to celebrate uh, someone or a, a particular effort in the church, or if you want to raise a concern, uh, you are able to do that uh, with me beforehand. Um, you are welcome to come to the meeting whether you are a member of the congregation or not. And in fact, you can be part of the discussion at the meeting whether you are a member of the congregation or not. Uh, so if you feel like this is your congregation and you are, uh, you are not a member or you are not yet a member, please feel welcome to come and participate in the discussion. Uh, the, the things that are decided by a vote are decided by a vote of members of the congregation. So, so not everybody can vote, but if you feel like this is your church, uh, you are most welcome to come to the meeting. Please do, please come. Uh, and you can be involved in the conversation uh, that we have there. If you haven't already gotten uh, an email from me this past week that has the little, the little uh, PDF file that includes all of the, the, the elected positions in our church and which ones are open, you can talk to uh, either Laura or Mark or Abe and Susan who are on the nominating committee, or you can ask me about that and I'll make sure you get that list. The, the ones that I wanna highlight are the, the open positions that are on our church board. And so uh, the, Bethany's been doing a good, a good job of highlighting the opening at Christian Education. The person who is the chair of Christian Education works with the pastor and the board and the ministerial to set the direction mostly for Sunday school, but also for some of the other children's church and other ministries of our congregation. Uh, Bethany's done a really great job of getting that ball rolling, and so there wouldn't be anything that needs to be invented. Uh, invented. No, no wheels need to be reinvented. That is already rolling, uh, so there's an opportunity there. Music and worship is an important part, probably the most, the most visible public part of what we do as a church is our, is our weekly Sunday morning worship services. And the person who chairs the music and worship committee works together with the pastor, the ministerial, and the board to set direction. So you don't need to do every particular thing, but you work to set the direction for the, the, the public worship of the church. And then also the moderator. The moderator is the job that I have. The, the, really, the moderator has only two jobs, and they are to call and to chair the meetings of the church, so the, the board meetings and the congregational meetings, that's it. Uh, in addition to that, whoever the moderator is um, can kind of 
raise up areas where, where they have strength. So you, you might remember when Dan Sawatsky was the moderator uh, a couple of years ago, there were some revisions and modifications made to the church constitution and the handbook, things like that, that, that frankly I'm not as interested in. And Dan had a real special interest in those areas and put extra, extra emphasis there. And each person who is the moderator of the church, this is why that role rotates from time to time. It's good to have it rotate regularly so that as each of us who fills that role um, brings one set of strengths, but then other things le are, are left undone. And then after a couple years, those things really need attention and then it's important for somebody else to do it for a while so that we, so that we cover our, our various bases. The, the, big, the big goal of the church in this coming year is going to be how to spend less money. Uh, we, are, we are behind on our, on our finances, and so uh, one of the w things that the, the leadership of the church and us as an entire congregation is going to be talking about is how can we either pull in some more money, how can we, how can we encourage one another to, to be more generous, uh, and at the same time, how can we trim our expenses so that we are using the money that we do have as responsibly as we, as we can? So setting the priorities for, for stuff that costs money. Um, that sounds like it can be a heavy conversation. Um, recently, it, it, it can be. I'll, I'll just say that out loud. But it also needn't be. We can... Um, when, when your budget tightens up, you can, you, can really focus, you can really focus in on things that are important to you in good, new ways. And there are real opportunities that come up from, from that process of, of needing, to, needing to figure out what your priorities are. Um, so again, the 28th, Tuesday the 28th, uh, please come. It'll be at 7.30 in the evening. We will sit around here and talk to one another, discuss things, and... Um, make a plan for the coming year of our church life. Dawson, you had an announcement as well? While Dawson's coming up, I'll just highlight that every week Russell sends out a midweek email and then also one on Sunday morning. So if you don't have your email address on that list, then please reach out to him and let him know so you can be added for getting that information. Yeah, I would just like to quickly highlight the uh, YFC banquet. It's coming up this Friday. Um, I'll give you some good reasons to go. There's good food catered by Nacho Mamas, and there's going to be dessert by Hampton Cafe. It's free to register, and most importantly, you're going to hear some awesome updates from the YFC staff on what has been going on in the past year. So, yeah, you have to pre-register. It's online through the Portage YFC website. Um, if that's not your forte, doing things online... Just get in contact with me after the service or whenever. Henry is also on the YFC committee, and we can get you registered online. We can help you out with that. So that's coming up soon here this Friday, November 10th. Also feel free to invite friends and fill up a table. And, yeah, you'll get to enjoy the evening with people you know. So looking forward to seeing lots of you there. Thanks. Were there any other announcements that needed highlighting? Okay. Our call to worship this morning is found in Jonah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. 
You hurled me into the depths and into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Let's pray. God, we call out to you, knowing that we are a needy people, and you are the God who saves. As we gather this morning, may we be aware of your presence and seek your mercy and grace in our lives. May the words that are sung and the words that are spoken bring praise, and may each of us be encouraged in our walk with you. Amen.
and that's such a wonderful thing. I invite you to stand as we sing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Oh 
seated. I invite you to bow with me as we pray for the offering. Gracious God, use our offerings of money and all that we have for the building up of your work in this church and in the world, wider world, for your glory. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in John, or sorry, Jonah chapter 2. We'll continue on reading. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I invite you to pray with me again. <clears throat> oh Lord, you have searched us and you know us. You know when we sit and when we rise. You know our going out and our lying down. You are familiar with all our ways. You hem us in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon us. Lord, give us eyes to perceive your guidance and redirection on the path laid out before us. Help us to draw strength and courage from your presence and protection from behind. Help us to sense your deep love and mercy in the weight of your hand upon us. You already know the things that lay heavy on our hearts, the things that we are thankful for and bring us joy the worries and responsibilities that keep us up at night. And you invite us to bring these things to you, to lay in your compassionate care. And so we bring our cares before you. Lord, we think in a special way of the people with health concerns in our church community. We think in a special way this morning of Agnes uh, Buchert with her recent diagnosis and we pray that you would be very near to her in this time. And we think also of Henry and the rest of the family. You have put us in groups of people, both for support and encouragement. And we pray for Henry in a special way this morning as he supports Agnes through this difficult time. Pray that you give him the strength and, and courage to go forward. We think also of Daryl Daly, who has recently um, undergone his surgery. We pray that it would be a success, that he would, his body would heal and he would improve. And we pray also for Audrey as she also supports and encourages him during this time. We think of others in the care home and who have health concerns or in the hospital. Think of John Rogers and his partner, Elmida, that you would give um, both of them grace. We think of John and Ann Neufeld um, with Ann's cancer situation. We pray for Gerald Ham. Um, pray that you would heal him from COVID in the hospital. We thank you for 
the work that you have done in Margaret Thiessen. Um, thank you for her improved health over the last couple of weeks. We thank you also for the joys in our families. Um, we pray a special blessing this morning on Ben and Naomi as they begin their life together as a married couple. Pray that they would enjoy each other's company and, and learn to follow you in a new way together. We pray also for the programs in our church that have recently started up. We thank you for Kids Connect and Moms and Tots, and we pray a special blessing on the people who are leading those programs, that you would give them wisdom and guidance and <clears throat> a grace, grace that they need for each, each time. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that you are here to comfort us and to walk with us in our life's journey. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. Good morning. Children, if you go back to Children's Church, it's going to be a good time. All right. Also, one other thing to announce, you can see on the back bulletin board. There we go. There's a poster there. The community choir is going to be practicing here every Tuesday of the month of November, with the exception of the Tuesday we're going to be having our meeting here. So uh, if you want to find out more about that, then look in the back. I'm, if you're interested in joining a community choir, I am absolutely positive that Dorothy Hill would be happy to have you. So uh, go and check that out later on. All right. And Jonah chapter 2. That is what we are looking at today. Jonah chapter 2. A couple weeks back, we took our first look at Jonah um, when we went through Jonah chapter 1, and we learned all sorts of things about this little book. First off, we learned that this is a book that is aimed to very particularly talk to a very particular group of people, those people that think of themselves as, since they are followers of God, as the end point of everything that God is trying to do. The book of Jonah, very much so, straight from the beginning, shows us that that is not the case. The end point of what God is trying to do in this world is to reach out to everyone, to redeem the entirety of creation. We get that straight from the beginning of the book of Jonah because what happens? God sends Jonah, a prophet, out to talk to the Assyrians in the city of Nineveh, the people that are the biggest enemies of the Israelites that have ever existed. And Jonah, not a fan of that one. And so what does he do? He books it as far away from God as he can possibly go. And he runs and he runs and he runs. And every time he runs, it says that he goes down. First down to Joppa. Then he goes down to a boat. Then he goes down into the bevy of a boat. And then he goes straight through to the point where they toss him in the water itself. Does at any point he figure, maybe I should turn this boat around? Maybe I should ask if I can go back and actually follow God? No. Finally, in the end, they toss him into the water, and he figures, now, now I've escaped God. Death, that is what it took for me to escape God. But every step of the way, God is following. Every step of the way, God is like, Jonah, this is not what you should be doing. And we end, even death itself isn't enough to keep him from God as he gets swallowed by the belly of, he's in the belly of a fish for three days. That is Jonah chapter one, and it sets us into Jonah chapter 
2, where we read that after three days and three nights in the belly of that fish, it seems that he has finally gotten enough time to reflect on what the situation is and realize that maybe he's been a bit overdramatic about this. Maybe, in fact, turning to God is the way that things should go. Now, before I go any farther, I want to ask everybody. Oh, there we go. Little text. Is it big enough? Can everybody read it? Awesome. I wanted to make sure. I've been tweaking this. If you have any other suggestions for ways that we can tweak these things, make sure to come and talk to me. We want to make them as good as possible. But we see in the beginning of Jonah chapter 2 that he is in the belly of that fish, and he has been in there for three days and three nights, and I don't know about you, if I was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, I have the sneaking suspicion that would be enough to make me want to repent to the Lord and realize that maybe running him running from him even though he has been with me all of the steps away. Maybe that was a silly thing to do. And so he has a turn of heart. And then we come to this psalm of thanksgiving that Jonah prays to God right here in Jonah 2. And it begins off with him saying, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. We saw all throughout Jonah 1 how every time he runs farther and farther from God, he keeps on running farther down and down and down and down. And here we see that he ran to the point where he is in the depths of the grave himself. That is a very potent literary picture that comes into our mind. How much farther down can you go than the grave itself? And yet God is still there. God has still followed him. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All their waves and breakers, they swept over me. And I said that I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains themselves. I sank down to the earth beneath, barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. That is how far... And how fast Jonah ran, that he got to the very depths of the earth itself, to the roots of the mountain, to the very depths of the grave itself. That is how far was his determination when he was following his own understanding of what it is that was right and wrong. He did not want to share that message with the Assyrians. They were the worst of the worst of the worst of the kind of people. So he ran and he ran and he ran. And here he keeps talking about how God has turned his vision from him, but has God turned his vision from him? That is not actually how this story goes. The reason that God has turned his vision from him is because Jonah has run that way as far as he can see, and so God being behind him, how can he possibly see the Lord until he was forced to stop, he was forced to actually think of the situation, and then he repents. And now we see that he has turned his face back to God, God who has had his hand outstretched the entire time he has taken God's hand, and now at the end of verse 6 here, we see that instead of going down anymore, 
Now he's being pulled back up. He has taken God's hand and now he is being pulled back up. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And that verse right there is the crux of everything that Jonah is talking about in this psalm. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. What are idols except for the things that lead us away from God. Idols can be the things that we think of when we think of idols. Idols can be the state of mind that Jonah's in where he is so positive that what it is that he is doing is the right thing, that he runs from the one from whom all righteousness flows in the first place. Idols can be many things, but idols are the things that make us forfeit our grace, not because God's hand ever is not outstretched, but because we are running from it with everything that we are. But if we just turn to him, if we just take that outstretched harm, then hallelujah, salvation is there, for salvation comes from the Lord. And the passage ends, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry ground. Interesting thing there. Hebrew is kind of like French, kind of like German, where all nouns have a gender to them, kind of like, if you know your friend, like ill, l, or German, d, and dare. Those are the two, right? Either way, Hebrew does that too. And so all nouns, they have a gender one way or the other. Every time when fish comes up in this passage, like in this entire book, it comes up as a masculine, because that's what fish is normally. It's masculine, unless you're very particularly talking about female fish, fish that give birth. And right there, when it's vomited out, then it's a female fish. I don't think that is how childbirth works. I'm pretty sure that they knew that wasn't how childbirth worked. But at the same time, the fact that this is where Jonah, after three days and three nights in the belly of that fish, three days and three nights in which he has turned from his sin back to God, three days and three nights where now he is committed to following God. He has taken God's hand. He has turned his face back to him. He is with thanksgiving in his heart, praising God for the salvation that God has given. Now Jonah is as if he is reborn, as if he is reborn back onto the land. And here we get another one of those Echoes of Jesus Christ, like we saw when we looked at Jonah 1 all of those times. And Jesus, and we remember that Jesus compares himself to Jonah. I am the new Jonah, which was in the book of Matthew when we looked at it. Just Jonah as Jonah should have been. Jonah as Jonah should have without all of the running away first. But now comes the mission to spread the love of God, to spread the mission of God, to spread the good news of who God is 
to the corners of the earth itself. The word of the Lord. That is Jonah chapter 2. And a wonderful, it's wonderful. And if we're going to sum up what Jonah chapter 2 is, we'd say that it's kind of about this, about how running from God leads to destruction. We saw that all throughout Jonah chapter 1, with him going down, 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 and down to the point where he thought of himself in the depths of the grave itself and the roots of the mountains themselves with sargasm wrapped around his neck. Idols are the things that lead us to run from God, as we saw there in verse 8 there. Those who cling to their worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs, not because God stops out extending that grace, but because they are running every way, and God, though he is there, his hand outstretched, they are not looking for them. The things that cause us to run away, those are the idols. The things that tell us that you should go this way, you should go that, you should go anywhere, but where the Lord wants you to go, those are the idols that lead us to run from God, regardless of what they may be. But God is always reaching out. And hallelujah, we can turn to him and we can take his hand. We're summing up Jonah chapter 2. That is what we are getting at. And that is a message that applies to a lot of people. That is a message that applies pretty much to, to, to all people. But this is a message that applies first off to individual people like you, like me, like Jonah. People that run from God because the idols that lead them is their understanding that they know what's best, even though it's very clear that God is telling them to do other things. People that run from God because we would rather do this, we would rather do that, we would rather do really anything than what it is that we know that God is telling us to do. Individuals like you and me, that is who this passage applies to. But who else does it apply to? Well, it's talking very specifically about idols. Maybe they're talking about people that had literal idols. These are some idols that were found outside the city of Nineveh. Some wonderful sketches. It tells me that they were found somewhere in the tail end of the 19th century. That's kind of when this type of artwork of different artifacts they found really took off. The Assyrians, they had idol worship as one of the main parts of what they did. It was a very common thing across the ancient world. It's a common part about all of the, the worship that went on to the different gods in those days, that you would have idols that would stay in your house and you'd sacrifice to them and you'd pray to them. They would become a very intricate part of how it is that you worship the gods of that region. And when you did that, you would expect that they would want particular things of you. They would tell you to do this. They would tell you to do that. They would tell you that you should be doing everything that you possibly can for the benefit of those particular idols. And if you were lucky, they would keep on some kind of praise to you, some kind of benefit to you, if you were lucky. That was how idol worship worked back in those days. And the Assyrians are no different on that one. The only difference that we can think of is that the Assyrians, the gods that they followed first and foremost, were a bloodthirsty lot. 
As we talked about last time, when the Assyrians came face to face with the Israelites, there was a reason why the Israelites thought of the Assyrians as the worst of the worst of the worst. There is a reason why the Assyrians ran rampage over the entirety of the region. There is a reason why they lived by the sword first and foremost, for that is the blessing of their God. So when we see those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, it's talking here. The Assyrians may not know God one way or the other, but that doesn't change the fact that their worthless idols are leading them to the point where they are running from anywhere that God would possibly want them to be. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't there reaching out. I mean, that's how this book begins. Go, Jonah. Go to Nineveh and tell the Assyrians that they need to repent. So, yeah. Who does this passage apply to? To those who do not know God one way or the other, like the Assyrians. But it also applies to one other group. And here we remember the fact that the book of Jonah is written for that very particular group of people. Those people who all too often think of themselves as the end point of everything that God is doing. Those people that think of themselves as I am the whole reason that God is working in this world. Those people that are the followers of God that figure that God kind of hit perfection in us, and that is kind of the end game. People that are followers of God that this book was written for, and who are not all too different than many followers of God even to this day. There is something about knowing that there is an all-powerful God and he loves us individually and we know him, that very much so occasionally leads his followers to thinking of themselves with a bit too big of a head on them. And this book tells us that no, in fact, God is wanting to reach out to the entirety of the world and we had better be aware of the fact that it is part of our job to get out there and to build the Lord's kingdom to the corners of the earth. We need to get out there and we need to, of course, spread that good news. So this passage applies to us as well. We who cling to our worthless idols which is all too often ourselves. So, if it applies to us, what do we do? What we see is Jonah goes through Jonah chapter 2, that this is the message that he has. Don't cling to these idols. They will be the death of you. Instead, turn back to the Lord. Grab his hand and you will know salvation. And it is wonderful. Your idols are the things that lead you away from God, that lead you to run down, 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 and down. But take the Lord's hand and he will lift you up. So what is the takeaway? The takeaway is we need to find out what our idols are. What are the things that are causing us to run in any direction than toward the Lord? And for us individuals who know God, 
That means one very particular thing. We need to stop. We need to reflect like Jonah. We need to stop running, sit down, and actually take some amount of mind to the situation that's going on. What are our idols? What are the things that are causing us to run away from God? What are the things that are causing us to go right instead of to where God is with his hand outstretched? What are the things that cause us to figure that we know what is right more than our Lord does? These things are not always the most obvious. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are just smack you over the face obvious, but more often than not, they're just part of everyday life, things that have snuck up on us, things that were something that brought us joy once upon a time, but then grew and grew and grew and took over more and more and more of our lives to the point that here we are sitting and they have become us. Politics, that's a prime example of something that often fits that. There's nothing wrong with having your political ideas one way or the other, but when those things become a bigger part of your life to the point where you start to look at your fellow man like he's an idiot just for thinking different things than you, then that might be a red flag. When it's stopping you from going before and into crowds with other people because you can't think well of them, then that's a bit of a problem bit of a red flag? Or how about different regular entertainment? Sports and entertainment, things like that. These are not big problems. They're wonderful, in fact. Have at her, but they have a way of also taking over more and more and more of your life, and you're spending less and less and less time with those that you love, and less and less and less time with God, and that can be a problem. How about work? I don't think there's an ever a bigger one than that. Work has a way of eating more and more and more of you. And then somehow when you have nothing left to give, it will still eat more and more and more of you. To the point comes where there's nothing left. For some things there is a season and it is busy and that too passes. But for the things in our lives that have taken over more of, more of them, and they don't seem to be going anyway, is it possible that those things are idols that are keeping you away from God? Take stock of your life. What are the things that you used to get a lot of joy from, but now you just kind of got to do? What are the things that used to take up a little amount of your time and now take up virtually all of it? What are the things that you used to spend a little bit of money on, but now you spend pretty much all your money on? What are those things that have metastasized over the, over the time? More likely than not, those are the things that have become idols in your life. If you have the ability to cold turkey cut things off, then power to you, you're stronger than I am. But to all of us, may I recommend instead, just scale back. 
couple less hours this week than last. I think we can do that. Then maybe five, meets, five months from now, something like that, you get used to that less amount of time, then maybe take a couple less hours after that. Harm reduction. Harm reduction is a wonderful way of dealing with the idols that threaten to take us over. Just scale back a little bit, and then a little bit more. There will be weeks that are easier, there will be weeks that are harder. But you just keep on. And don't be surprised when you get to somewhere that you didn't think was possible a couple months ago. God is walking with you every step of the way. For those of you that don't know God, what does this passage say? The idols that are in all of our lives, and they're in all of our lives, it's part of being human, that want to follow this, to follow that. The idols will still lead to our destruction, regardless of whether you know Jesus or not. But that doesn't mean that he isn't there. That doesn't mean that he isn't reaching out. If you just take his hand of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ, and follow him, then that will be the best relationship you ever know. You want to talk about it? Come talk to me. There's going to be deacons up afterwards. They'd be happy to talk to you too. For those of you who don't know God, He is there. He is reaching out. And for our church, what are the idols that take us away from what we are meant to do? Everybody wants to think that they are in the perfect church that has no idols leading them anywhere other than where God is trying to lead them. I don't think you need to read too much of the New Testament to realize that that is not true, and it never has been. Pretty much straight from the time of Paul on, you have story after story of the different churches of the region that are all struggling to do what God has tasked them to do in one way or the other. To be in the church is to deal with the fact that there are idols that are trying to take us away from what it is that we are trying to do, from building the kingdom of our Lord, of spreading the good news, of caring for those who need care, of doing the things that our Lord would have us do. They are always there. And all too often, the trying to find what they are and point them out and make a bigger deal of it all the time, that becomes an idol of itself, that need to purge, purge, purge. Almost every situation I can think of, of a church that did a good job of dealing with the things that was keeping them from following our Lord, they did the same thing. They got out there and they actually tried to build the kingdom. They got out there and followed the Holy Spirit and spread that good news. They got out there and they cared for the sick. They got out there, they cared for the poor. They got out there and cared for everyone that our Lord needs us to care for. 
They did that first and then after that is when they started looking backwards. And why is it that that was such a powerful way of doing it? Because then you can actually see what the things are that are keeping you from doing what the Lord has tasked us to do. And all along the way, we pray, pray, and we pray. Do you want to know how to identify the idols amongst our congregation, amongst the church in general? Well, first off, we follow the Spirit, we be the church, and from there, then things become a tad more obvious. Do it the other way, and more often than not, it's just complaining about this and that and this and that. And it goes on and on and on until everybody is so torn down that they think that there's no point to anything left. That is what this passage says to us today as well. God is reaching out even when we run away. I want to say that that picture is a grand metaphor. I just thought it was funny. That's why I put it there. Although, if you think it's a good metaphor for what we're talking about, feel free to come and tell me why. But God is reaching out even when we run away. So will we give up our idols and take his hand? There is salvation there. There is freedom from the things that will lead us down and down and down. Will we do that? I invite you to stand in closing as we sing together, God will take care of you.
benediction comes from the book of Philemon. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Go now and serve our wonderful God.